You're listening to the podcast of Village Church in Burbank, California. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. As a lot of you know, what we're doing uh, for these remaining two months of the summer is we are taking our passage of the week. It changes every Sunday. And this is something that we invite you to be reflecting on during the week. Uh, together as a church, we, we like the idea of just taking one single passage. In addition to whatever other Bible reading you do, we want to take one passage of the week and, and really meditate on it and reflect on it in prayer. So hopefully uh, many of you are doing that. Um, and so the passage of the week last week was the story of Jesus visiting the home of Mary and her sister Martha. And we talked about um, the idea of being with Jesus no matter what's going on around you. Even in other activities, we can invite Jesus into those activities and sit at Jesus' feet. And so that's really what we emphasized last week. Now, the passage of the week for this week is actually Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. And I preached on the Lord's Prayer just a few months ago. So rather than preach on it again, what I really feel inspired to do is take the theme from our message last weekend, go a little further with it, and approach it from a different angle. So that's what we're going to do uh, this evening. Now, I'm going to do something here at the beginning a little bit different. You know, normally we have our text up on the screen, and I read it, and you can follow along with me. I'm going to do something different. We're not going to have the words on the screen. I want you to listen and use your imagination tonight. God gave you an imagination, so let's fire it up, all right? I want you to close your eyes without falling asleep or checking the Dodger score. I want you to close your eyes because I am going to be looking around the room. <laughs> um, and we're going to do just an imaginative reading I'm going to read a short passage in Genesis 18, and I want you to do your best to enter into the scene. I want you to see, I want you to hear, smell, taste, touch this passage. Let it be tangible to you. I'm reading out of my message Bible. I'm going to read a few verses here. Genesis 18, beginning in verse 1. God appeared to Abraham at the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent. It was the hottest part of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing. He ran from his tent to greet them and bowed before them. He said, Master, if it please you, Stop for a while with your servant. I'll get some water so you can wash your feet. Rest under this tree. I'll get some food to refresh you on your way, since your travels have brought you across my path. They said, certainly, go ahead. Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. He said, hurry, get three cups of our best flour, knead it, and make bread. Then Abraham ran to the cattle pen and picked out a nice plump calf and gave it to the servant who lost no time getting it ready. 
Then he got curds and milk, brought them with the calf that had been roasted, set the meal before the men, and stood there under the tree while they ate. The men said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? He said, in the tent. One of them said, I'm coming back about this time next year. When I arrive, your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Sarah was listening at the tent opening just behind the man. Abraham and Sarah were old by this time, very old. Sarah was far past the age for having babies. Sarah laughed within herself. An old woman like me get pregnant with this old man of a husband? God said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Me? Have a baby, an old woman like me? Is anything too hard for God? I'll be back about this time next year, and Sarah will have a baby. Now, Lord, we pause just before we dig into this text, and we invite you to come and speak to us. We open our minds and hearts as best we know how. Speak to the core of our being. And have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I want us to zero in on the first verse. This is the only verse that will be up on the screen tonight. And the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. I like the image that this verse inspires in my mind. I can actually, in my imagination, I can see Abraham, this ancient Bedouin, sitting at the entrance of his tent. It's in the middle of a hot afternoon. It's too hot for him to be inside of his tent. So he's sitting by the doorway of his tent. Maybe there's like a canopy. I can imagine hanging over him, providing some shade. And as he sits there every so often, maybe a breeze brushes across his face. And I don't know why, the text doesn't explicitly say this, but I can just imagine Abraham in that moment, I can imagine him eating some dates. I mean, why not? Dates are delicious, they grow Plenteous in Israel, if you're going to go to Israel. How many of you like dates? If you're going to Israel with us, you're going to have the opportunity to eat a lot of dates. So I could just see Abraham sitting there in the middle of the Judean wilderness, at the entrance of his tent, in the shade. He's enjoying the quiet of the afternoon. He can taste the sweetness of the date in his mouth. He feels the breeze, the cool breeze, brush across his hair and his face. He can feel the heat of the sun on his forehead. He can hear the sound of insects buzzing around his tent. He can smell the the scent of cattle nearby and sheep. And then all of a sudden, shimmering on the horizon, he sees some activity. And Abraham studies, and he's able to eventually discern that this activity 
is actually the image of three travelers approaching him. And as Abraham goes out to meet these three strangers, he does what any good Middle Eastern Bedouin would do, and he offers them hospitality. So a meal is prepared, and as Abraham sits down and shares a meal with these three travelers, <clears throat> he progressively begins to realize that this is not just a meal with three strangers, but somehow or another, in the form of these three travelers, Abraham is actually encountering his God. He is sharing a meal with his God in a very mysterious but wonderful kind of way. But it all happened in the midst of ordinary living. In fact, the vast majority of Abraham's life, as is the case with everyone else in the Bible, happened in ordinary contexts. Even those moments of Abraham's life that you and I would classify as spectacular, like these moments where he has conversations with God, and, and I think there are about eight of them in the span of his entire life that are recorded. But even a lot of those spectacular moments emerge out of an everyday, ordinary context. Most of Abraham's life happened in the context of ordinary tents and sheep and meals and prayers and long walks and just living his life. So tonight, I want to talk to you about glory in the ordinary. You know, the psalmist says that all of creation is filled with the glory of God. Some of you may have seen two weeks ago when NASA released the first images from their brand new shiny $10 billion telescope, James Webb telescope, six times powerful than its predecessor, the Hubble telescope. It's pretty amazing. And I just wanted to show you my favorite image. Um, I sent Dawn this image from my iPhone, so I'm positive that the resolution is not what it could be. But I was blown away by images like these that just were released within the last couple of weeks. What you're looking at, you're actually peering into the distant past. This is light projecting from a scene that occurred billions of years ago before the earth was formed. The formation of stars. You're looking into the past. It's amazing. It's mind-boggling. The heavens declare the glory of God. But the psalmist says all of creation is filled with God's glory. Existence is, itself is filled with God's glory. Nature, the seasons. I know you're getting tired of the summer heat. But it's filled with God's glory. And within a few months when fall and winter roll around, it's going to be filled with God's glory. Amen. More than any other item in natural creation, human beings contain the glory of God. We are uniquely made in his image. Our consciousness, our awareness, our awareness of our awareness, our communication, our culture, and on and on it goes. It's, it's, it's permeated 
with the glory of God. The glory of God is found in the ordinary. In fact, I'll just say it like this. The glory of God permeates the ordinary. So that if you take any ordinary moment or any ordinary object in the universe and just squeeze it, the glory of God oozes out of it. You know, just because you're used to the sky, just because you're used to the mountains, just because you're used to the ocean, just because you're used to the snow and the rain and the breeze and the trees does not mean that these things are not miracles of God's glory. So, so that when we read the Gospels and we read about Jesus healing a sick person, we say, oh, that's a miracle. And yes, it is. But when Jesus heals a sick person or turns the water into wine or multiplies the loaves and the fish, part of what's happening is Jesus is reminding us what a miracle it is to have good health, to have good food and good drink. So that when I share a table with good friends and good health, enjoying a good meal, that moment right there is bursting with the glory of God. It's a miraculous moment. It's the ordinary that is glorious if we can capture it, if we can perceive it. The challenge for us is that we live in a culture that increasingly is becoming obsessed with the sensational and the spectacular. It's part of the detriment of being a smartphone culture. And as helpful as smartphones are and as useful as they are to our lives, one of the ill effects is that smartphones, among other things, have trained us and formed us to need constant stimulation. We can't stand having a single bored moment of the day. We, we want to be wild, we want to be excited, we want things to seize our attention, we want to be captivated. And so we need to be titillated, we need to be stimulated. And that's why we check our smartphones dozens of times a day, we check, we check social media. Because we, we need the dopamine rush. We're a culture that is obsessed with the sensational. And there's a religious version of this. There's a spiritual version of this where when we come to God in worship or when we come to God in prayer, I think oftentimes our expectation is we want to have a wow moment every single time. We want God to produce a certain sensation in us. We want to feel excited or exhilarated. We want a, a huge encounter with God. And that's what we come to expect because that's what we are formed to expect in our lives. We need God constantly to excite us. We want miracles. We want healings at, on the spot. Now, I believe in the miraculous, and I believe in healings, and I pray for the sick, and I also have had profound moments with God in prayer and in worship. I can tell you about exhilarating experiences that God has allowed me to have in my life. So I'm not talking about a belief in the sensational, and I'm not even talking about even a desire for what we would classify as sensational. But listen very closely to what I'm gonna to say to you. I'm, I'm choosing my words very carefully. Obsession with the sensational 
is a kind of lust. In fact, I would put it in the same category as things like drug addiction and alcoholism and overeating. Because obsession with the sensational is taking something that is good, but overemphasizing it to the point where it becomes harmful. You understand with these other things like food and pleasure and sex, these are good things, but when we begin to overemphasize these things, they cross boundaries and they begin to occupy places in our lives that they were never meant to occupy. How many of you are with me so far? And we can be like that spiritually when we become obsessed with the spectacular and the sensational. We miss God in his glory and his beauty in everyday ordinary living. We miss it. We don't appreciate it for what it is. And it reveals our spiritual dullness, our spiritual immaturity. Let me just speak to you for a moment on a pastoral level. And I'm just giving you an observation. It's my observation. I come from a particular context. You know, I've come from a, a Pentecostal denomination. That's been my, my life, and it's still my life. I, 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 I treasure my Pentecostal heritage. That's me. But let me tell you what I've observed just in my life, and maybe you've seen versions of this as well. But this just comes from 18 years of vocational ministry and 40 years of church involvement. People who are obsessed with the spiritually sensational tend not to be very good Christians. That's just my observation, but it's a studied observation. People who are obsessed with sensationalism, they tend to be quarrelsome, difficult. They tend to be the kind of person who hops from one church to the next all the time. They can't ever stay rooted in one place because there's this lust for sensation that's driving them. And when they don't get it in one place consistently, they feel like, oh, maybe it's over here or maybe it's over there. I've noticed this. People who are obsessed with the sensational aren't actually interested in growing in true Christ-likeness because they're constantly looking for the circus. They can't be bothered with the everyday mundane, boring work of just, you know, growing in Christ. Now, when I use the word sensationalism, let's understand, let's maybe define it. You know, it has to do with the senses, sensationalism, senses. So we have our five senses, sight, smell, taste, touch, feel, hear, all of that. But we also have our emotional senses. So here's how I would define it. Sensationalism is an obsession with the excitement of the senses. And perhaps that might help explain why so many of these people, in my experience, who become obsessed with the sensational, so many of them, not all of them by any means, but many of them tend to come out of an addiction background. I've worked with a lot of people with addictions. Our, our church in Louisiana had a big ministry, a recovery ministry, residential. And then here, this church, Village Church, for years has had a robust recovery ministry, and many of you have come from that background. So maybe this will resonate with you, or maybe it will challenge you. But I just want to say it pretty straightforwardly. Jesus is not a kind of drug. And the goal of the Christian life is not to try to maintain a constant spiritual high. 
to constantly be buzzed on Jesus. I mean, if that's how you come into this thing and if that's your expectation, you are on the wrong track. You're gonna have, don't mistake me, you're gonna have some spiritual highs, you are, on your journey with Jesus. But you're also gonna have a lot of your life that's not gonna be a spiritual high. You're gonna have a lot of valleys and lows. And it's all an indispensable part of your journey. So the reason for following Jesus is not to catch a buzz or to get a high. What salvation in Christ does, and it does many things, but one of the things that salvation in Christ does is it frees us to recover the glory of the ordinary so that we can actually live life sober and not spend your whole life chasing after the sensational because now you can discover the glory of God in everyday ordinary life. You remember the third temptation? This is very important. Watch this. You remember the third temptation? Jesus has just been baptized. He's about to launch his ministry. The devil tempts him in the wilderness for 40 days. The third temptation, according to Luke, is when the devil brings him to the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem. In other words, the most visible place in Israel where you're going to see, be seen by the most people at one time. For us, it, would, it might be the equivalent of the Hollywood sign. At any given moment, there are probably thousands of people looking at the Hollywood sign taking pictures. Now, the difference is most people looking at the Hollywood sign are miles away. But the pinnacle of the temple is where people are walking in, hundreds, thousands, at any given moment. So the devil takes Jesus to the most visible place in Israel, to the highest point, and he says, Jesus, jump off, because you know your angels are going to catch you. What, what is he tempting Jesus to do? To create a spectacle. He know, there's a crowd of people there at the base. He's producing a spectacle that will, that will be sensational, that will wow the people. Whoa, here's the Messiah. Look, you can't deny it. And, and it's, the temptation is not just that single moment. Remember, he's at the beginning of his ministry. He's in the wilderness fasting and praying. He's contemplating the kind of ministry he's going to launch. So this temptation is really the temptation to take his ministry and turn it into a constant series of spectacles. To take his ministry and make it about sensationalism. That's the temptation. And this is the temptation where Jesus quotes the scripture, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And I really do think that an obsession with Christian sensationalism is a form of tempting God, trying to make God constantly do tricks to keep us amused, to keep us excited. And I want you to know, Jesus never did miracles for the sake of creating a spectacle. In fact, if you pay attention to it in the Gospels, very frequently when Jesus does miracles, he tries to conceal it. You'll notice he'll, he'll be in the midst of a city, there's a bunch of people, somebody's sick, he'll take them away from the crowd, pull them out of the town, get alone with the person, then he'll heal them, and then he'll say something like this, now don't go telling anybody about this. Jesus' miracles were never for the sake of sensation. They were for the sake of restoring the glory of the ordinary. 
ordinary health, ordinary life, ordinary well-being, ordinary joy, ordinary goodness. I believe in the miraculous. I believe in healing. I believe God is a God who does sensational things. But I resist the trend of taking the work of God and making a spectacle out of it and turning it into some showbiz entertainment kind of thing. I think you understand what I'm talking about. Nod your heads if you understand. Miracles and healings and the prophetic, these are sensational things. But it's for the sake of recovering the ordinary. Are you with me? Don't fail to recognize the glory of ordinarily waking up every single day, day after day, in good health. Learn to see all of life as a miracle and recognize the glory of the ordinary. When you really do need a spectacular miracle, by all means, pray for it. Ask God for it. Believe God for it. But don't turn your Christian life into an endless pursuit of the sensational. Don't do that to yourself. Because when we spend our lives focusing on some big thing in the future, someday, some way, some big thing's going to come, some big revival, God's going God's to send this big move of his spirit. When that becomes the entire orientation of our focus, we're not living in the moment. And can I just tell you, the big thing is happening right now. It's called life. <laughs> it's happening full on right now. You know, Jesus often had trouble with these people who would, who would pester him and say, Jesus, when is the kingdom going to come? When is God going to restore the kingdom? When's the kingdom going to arrive? And Jesus, Jesus would just say, it's right in front of you, right in front of your face. It's all around you. I, I, I've been around those folks who just cry out to God, God, show me your glory, show me your glory, show me your glory. And I think sometimes God just wants to say, it's all around you, my friend. It's all around you. Open your eyes. But God, it's so ordinary. No, 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 no. It's filled with the beauty of God, the glory of God. Every moment, even this moment right here together, your existence right now. Feel the breath coming into your lungs and exhaling. The oxygen that's permeating your blood so you can be alive. The people around you, the people you're sharing a pew with. Some of you are sitting next to your spouse, your kids, maybe grandkids, I don't know. Your capacity to love them to feel loved, to enjoy these people that God has given as gifts for you to enjoy. In this moment we have together right now to just be aware of God and to worship him together. You take this moment right here, it's just dripping with the glory of God as is every moment of your life. So here's what I would encourage you to do and this has helped me, is I would encourage you, maybe if you can, once a day, or at least a couple times a week, get out of your house, get out of your office, 
go outside. If you can, go to the ocean, go to the beach, hike up a mountain. Or if you're not able to, then just go outside on your porch and sit down, find a rocking chair. You know, rocking chairs are the invention of God in heaven. And just sit down, close your eyes, enjoy the quiet, listen to the birds, feel the breeze. No smartphone, no noise, no podcast or music. Just be present to God for a few minutes. And let divine encounters happen. Just let them happen when they come. Abraham wasn't looking for three travelers. They showed up on his doorstep as he was sitting at the entrance of his tent. But don't waste your life chasing after the sensational and missing out on the glory of the ordinary. Learn the secret of being content with life as God has made it. This is maturity. And rather than pleading, God, show me your glory, show me your glory, show me your glory, ask God to give you eyes to see the glory that you're swimming in at any given moment. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org.